You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning, Westman Church. I'm so glad to be able to be here together. Today, we are going to be jumping into Luke 13. And so grab your Bibles, uh, open a device if that's what you choose to use, and flip open to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 18 through 30 today. So as you're getting there, um, I don't know about you guys, especially in this last season, these last few months, movies have played a, a bigger part in my life. I often uh, wonder if Redbox movies are probably the most cleanest DVDs on the planet right now, because when people rent them, they, they spray off the cases, they spray off the DVDs, and they do it again before they put it back in the box. And, um, but I love movies. I love just to sit down and get kind of encaptured into the storyline of a good movie. It's something that can release my brain. It's something that can just uh, relax me, um, even when it gets intense. Like, I love good, intense movies as well. One of my favorite kind of movies are sports movies. Uh, I love sports movies. I don't know why. I mean, I was an athlete. Uh, keyword was. I was an athlete and um, it enjoys sports so much, but I just love sports movies. But I like a very specific type of sports movie. Uh, I love sports movies that take the little guy, the underdog, and that they get to achieve something bigger than anyone ever imagined they could achieve. That goes all the way back to when I was a pre-middle school, I think, I watched uh, a movie called Nadia. All of you that know me well or just don't judge, it just is what it is. This movie Nadia, it was about Nadia Komanich when she was a gymnast um, for Russia and, and just that storyline. And I got caught up and here's this young girl who's coming out of a communist country and the only opportunity she ever had was this this art of gymnastics. And so it talks about talked about her life. And I got so moved by that. I remember being moved by the story of watching this underdog come up and, and just basically dominate the Olympics. And then you talk about movies like Rudy and Remember the Titans and uh, Hoosiers and Glory Road and you name it. You pick the movie that you think uh, you could be so inspired for from watching the little guy overcome the big guy. There's tons of them out there. And I think we as a, as a humanity, as a, a American culture, we love that kind of story, and we love to kind of be pulled into this idea that small things can do greater things, and we love the idea that uh, we can we can take something that's unexpected and see it uh, just accomplish something we didn't even dream it could do, and it speaks something to our soul, right? It speaks something to who we are because I think we all create that inside. We all crave a little bit of that. I, I don't feel like I'm big enough. I don't feel like I'm strong enough. I don't feel like I got the talent. I feel like I'm always fighting uphill. And so when we can watch the storyline of someone who does that and, and overcomes that, you know, it, it speaks to our soul. It gives us a little bit of hope. But sometimes we just write those movies off and say, it's just a movie. It's just theatrics. It's just a script. Um, it's just something done on screen. But if you really look back over a lot of those movies, they're based on real stories, real stories of, of, of these people that have overcome, these people that have uh, started from small beginnings and had a huge ending. And that's exactly where I want to go today. We crave in us something that's so great because if we're really true to ourselves, true to our souls, we probably all feel at some level deep down inside small. Uh, we feel like 
uh, we won't be able to accomplish this big dream that we have in life. We feel like uh, there's nothing that, that God's going to be able to do through just little old me. And maybe when we compare ourselves to these stories, to these movies, maybe to other individuals, I'll never be the Billy Graham. I'll never step into that, that role to have that kind of influence, to have that breadth of life and ministry for the gospel. I'll never have that. So we begin to stop trying. But here I want to tell you a story about someone who had a very small beginning and had a very big ending and how that connects to us. So let's jump into uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 18. And Jesus uh, is continuing, continuing his teaching as he's, he's heading towards a destination. And we'll get it there in a minute. Um, but he stops and pauses and he begins to have this uh, thoughtful conversation with his disciples. And uh, just to bring them to an understanding of, of what the small to big really means. And, and throughout these verses today, we're going to recognize that Jesus is really foreshadowing something. He's telling his own story within these words. Uh, he's giving an idea of why he is here, where he has come from, and where he is going. But he also will bring that back to us. And so let's start in verse 18. And he, he gives these two comparisons to these two uh, imageries to his disciples. He says, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what, to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So let's pause right there. So Jesus kind of paints the picture of, of the bigger topic, the kingdom of God. Now, this is a big topic for Jesus, and we're actually going to see this topic come up through these next chapters uh, of Luke's story of Jesus. But this is a big thing for, for Jesus to unfold and shape and teach. A lot of his parables are unfolding and teaching about this, the kingdom of God. And so he wants his disciples, his listeners to hear and understand what the kingdom of God is like, and in it, He's telling his own story. It is like a, a grain of a mustard seed that uh, a man takes and he sows and it, it grows. It grows to a point that uh, birds can live in it, that it gives a life and protection and um, provision for uh, the birds. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, the small thing about it, I have a grain of mustard seed here and there's no way you're going to be able to see it. And I think that's kind of the point. But it's right there in between my fingers. It's such a small little thing. This is something that a bird would snack on. But what Jesus is saying that this little seed, when you plant it in the ground, has the capacity to grow into something that birds not only can, will snack on, but they will live in. That they, it will be a part of their, their ecosystem, their life, their provision to have life. Now, a mustard seed uh, is pretty small. It usually grows a plant that's maybe four, five feet high. It's more of a bush. But yet, in moments, with the right cultivation, with the right care, it can actually grow to extents of 15 feet tall, which would then classify it as a tree, and then birds come and they, they live in that. The beauty of something so small becomes things so great. The beauty that when it's, when it's cultivated right, when it's cared for, when it's, when it's fed, when it's nurtured right, that the, the, the outcome of it 
is incredible. And he talks about the same thing with the yeast that the woman takes and she uh, kneads that into these three measures of flour. She's rolling this note. Now, back in the day, they would take, they didn't have little packets of yeast that we can go out and get at high V, and they, they didn't have it all prepackaged and you just put it in just in the right amount and then it, it helps the bread do what the bread is supposed to do. But they would take it and mix it in and then they'd take a little part of, uh, out of the dough from the bread they were making the day and set that aside for the next day. So the picture here is something very real for the disciples because in that morning, uh, they would take that small part of dough, that leavened bread, and mix it into the greater flour and mold it and knead it together and let it rise. And they pull out the next part for the next day, continually saying this small little portion is gonna have incredible impact day after day after day. Now, yeast is something really cool. It's incredibly small. Actually, the grain of the yeast is smaller than a mustard seed. But when you put it into the dough with the flour, the water, the sugar, the oil, it actually expands and starts uh, activating the sugar inside all of those other ingredients. And then it creates gases and the gases release and that release of gas actually expands the dough and it rises. If you've ever made bread, you kind of get this. Uh, It rises to this point. You could take a a small little bundle, softball size of dough, put it in a bowl that is huge. And in the morning, if you let it rise, it would fill the bowl because of the release of what is activated by that yeast. That small little bit, that small little ingredient has an incredible impact to take all the other ingredients, to activate them in a different, in a new way, to expand what it is touching, what it is mixed with. What a beautiful picture that Jesus is trying to say that, that this is the kingdom of God. There's, there's something smaller that is put into the picture. And as it activates, as it is cultivated, as it grows, it expands and it has this incredible influence in all that it interacts with. It's awesome. And so when you look at Jesus' story, he's, he's trying to unfold. He's foreshadowing a little bit of, of who he is. Because remember that Jesus came to this earth. And uh, he was a baby born in a manger in a small little town that not a whole lot of people went to. It was a, a off the beaten path. It wasn't, wasn't a place people were interested in. But yet that's where God the Father saw that it'd be fit for him to be born. Not in an inn, not in a hospital, but in a manger. In, in a feeding place for animals. And from a small beginning, his life began to expand. And as we see 30 years into his life and into this ministry, as we've been studying the book of Luke, the influence of his touch, his words, uh, his presence begins to change things. So much so that people see it and they're drawn to it. And then they, we see change happen in people's lives over and over again. So he's got this following and he's telling this story and he's unfolding this truth about who he is because that is what the kingdom of God is like. What we might think is so small and so uh, inconsequential, so uh, uninfluenced uh, in a way that, that it's just not even worth paying attention to. When you really look, something big is about to happen as a result. And so Luke goes on from here, giving these, uh, these stories that Jesus is telling, these examples of comparisons of the mustard seed of the yeast, the amount of influence this small thing can have. And he goes into something that's really hard. 
He goes into a truth that Jesus is teaching and, and say, this is not an easy task. And this is going to be hard for some of us to hear. This is what's so hard for our world to hear uh, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to following after him, when it comes to Christianity. So he talks in verse 22 and it goes down and he says, He went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So let's pause real quick because when Luke notes that, he notes it for a reason. We already know this about Luke. He's very, very detailed. He wants to give you every part of the story. He wants to make sure that every nugget of it is is exposed for us to see. And he's unfolding for us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, not just to hang out in Jerusalem. This is the line, the path that he's on to go to Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, his, his judgment as a criminal, and to say, hey, you are saying these things and you can't do that. And then eventually he's going to be crucified on the cross. And out of that, he's going to three days later, rise from the grave. And so Jesus is on his way to do that. It makes sense that he starts talking about the kingdom of God, doesn't it? That he's saying, hey, I know where I'm headed. I want you to understand why, and I want you to be a part of the story with me. And so Luke pulls that out, that he's journeying and teaching towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, again, here's another person in the crowd of people that are walking with him, throwing out a question to Jesus. These people just want to hear what he has to say. They're so curious by the truths and the authority that he has. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? I, I wonder if there's a tone in this man's voice. I wish I could have been in that moment, on that path, on that road, to hear the tone is Am I, am I going to make it in? Am I part of the few? That craving to know that, that I belong someplace. I think we all have that craving in us. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Open to us, and then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. That's the harsh words. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and they recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some of those who will be first, who, yeah, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So Jesus begins to answer this question, to speak to this man, to speak to his listeners, and he starts with this, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and won't be able to. Wow, what a powerful word. Here's a guy who's saying, hey, is it, is it just going to be a few? And, and this, Jesus' response is, yeah, because most people aren't going to be able to. Most people aren't going to get to that place to, to get through that door. Most people aren't going to have the energy, the effort, the focus, the attention, the whatever to do it. It's a powerful truth. It's so hard to hear it, but it's a powerful truth. There's some key words in this uh, that I think are really interesting. The word strive. It is actually literally translated to enter a contest or to run a race. 
Now, we see this in Scripture all the time. Throughout Paul's writings, we see it uh, even in how Jesus talks about running after who he is, uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 16, that you, you take up this race, you run it with everything that you have to win the prize. You, you go after it, you put all of your energy, you train, you put the effort in. And then in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, you do that with endurance, you run the race with endurance. I love that this, when Jesus uses this word, he's talking about, you do, you enter this, this contest. And it's not about the win. It's not about who you're trying to beat. It's about the fact that it takes attention and focus and effort. That you just can't willy-nilly and stumble your way into this race and expect to have the outcome what you desire it to be. That you've got to put focus and attention on it. And then he goes on to this, the idea of the narrow door. And there's something about this, this idea of the narrow door that is so unique uh, behind this word and in this word that I have to point out. When you, you look at the, the word narrow, it, it translates literally that. Narrow or straight. But then when you look at the root of the word behind the word narrow, it translate as firm and established. And so you take that full word and all the ingredients, all the little small parts in it, and that narrow door is a firm and established straight way. I think that matters because we don't usually do that. We're all over the place. We are attentive here and attentive there, and this gets our, our, our focus for a moment, and then that gets our focus for a moment, and we continue to put our efforts and our focus on all these other things. And because we have so many things, we, we become kind of loose in the ground. Our, our feet aren't as firm, and so we can get knocked over easily. And, and what Jesus is talking about, hey, it's gonna take effort to be firm and established. It's gonna take an understanding that you've gotta to root yourself in to something that is straight, something that is guiding yourself in one direction towards one thing. And yeah, that path is pretty small because we can't have all of these other things uh, invested in it. We can't have all these other things trying to widen that path because these things will become distractions. They'll become uh, stumbling blocks. They'll become things that will take us down. But we've got to stay firm and established on this one path, this narrow way towards one purpose, one person in this picture. And so let me pause real quick and let's go back to Jesus telling his story. Small beginning, baby born in a manger. He's on one path to Jerusalem with one purpose and one goal. He's firmly established in that purpose and in that goal. He's telling his story in these words. He's giving the example of who he is and what he has come to do, which is so beautiful and so powerful. But he wants us to understand something, that even in his story, he wants us to join that path with him. But for us, in our brokenness and in our sin, in our humanity that, that seems to be falling apart year after year, generation after generation, more and more, that's not an easy decision to make to fall in line with this beautiful person of Jesus Christ and to say, I'm following after you, one purpose, one destination. I'm going and I'm running with all that I have, with every effort, with all my endurance I'm putting towards it. And Jesus wants that to be known, not because he's trying to tell people it's not possible for you, so go and, and just, get, just get out of the way. You're never gonna make it. 
but he's saying you need to know that it's going to take effort and energy. You need to know that it's going to take time and focus. But I'm telling you because I believe you can do it. That's what I see Jesus saying here. And even he draws us out. He, he draws some conviction out. Well, we, we drank with you. We were with you in your presence. We, you, we ate with you. We listened to what you taught. I've struggled with this part of this passage because I feel like that's a lot of, uh, of us in our world these days. We attend with Jesus all the time. We attend a small group. We attend a Sunday morning. We attend a Bible study. We attend an online service. We show up to be in attendance with Jesus, but do we show up to be in relationship, in the presence of Jesus? Those are two different things. I can show up and be in the same room with um, some really amazing person. But that doesn't mean I have any relationship with that person. We can show up to a church service and be in attendance with a hundred or so other people around us. But that doesn't mean that we have a relationship with any of those people around us. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. It's not about just showing up and being in attendance of It's not about just listening and and kind of taking things in. It's about being in my presence, being with me. You go back to the story of Mary Martha. We studied that just a few weeks ago. For Mary, she sat in the presence at the feet of Jesus, soaking up all that he is, all he was saying. She listened intently. She desired to follow after every word he said. That's being in the presence of Jesus to give up everything that you are and say, I'm all in, I'm all yours. His disciples, as they went through the journey, they fell into that place. They decided to say, I'm all in, I'm all yours. I'm in your presence. I'm not just showing up to be in attendance. And Jesus is talking about how, hey, you can't just do that because if that is just your mode of operation, that itself is not enough. And those are hard words. Because Jesus was really telling us here is there's a greater separation that's going to come. There's a conversation here we can have on the topic of hell. I don't think Jesus is going into this discourse or, or theology of hell at this point, but he definitely, absolutely is saying there's a separation that will happen if you choose just to kind of be around and, and know who I am, but you don't choose to be in relationship with and to be in my presence. If that's the case, when the time comes, when the master returns, when he welcomes you into this banquet, to this feast, you will be left out because you didn't know the master. You didn't have that relationship to enter through the doorway into his kingdom, into his home, sit down at that banquet table with him and celebrate life. And that's a hard message to receive. And so we go into this story and and Jesus is unfolding that. And he tells us that when the master comes and if you've just been in attendance with Jesus, but not in the presence of him, that you will actually be told just to, to, you need to step away. You need to go away because in in that place, there's gonna be the, the line that is drawn. And that is the answer to the man's question, that there will be a few that will know and be saved. But for others, that that line was so hard because we've gotten distracted by all these other things around us. 
And in verse 28, it says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I love this, the way it's phrased by Luke. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. I've wondered a lot about that passage. We see that words weeping and gnashing of teeth as it relates to the topic of hell, as it relates to that separation from God and in a few different places in scripture. But it jumped out of me in this, in this moment, preparing for this message that when you see how interesting that that separation is something that when you aren't with God at the point of judgment, when the door has been closed and you can't go back, you begin to realize what you've missed. Jesus is making this point because he doesn't want you to miss it, but he's letting us know that you will be able to see what you are missing. You think of the rich man and Lazarus, another story in the Gospels where the rich man dies and he goes to, to this place called hell and he's looking up and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he's like, Lord, I, I want that. What do I do? He's like, I, you can't have it anymore. The decision has been made. You've chosen your path. But we can see that there's an understanding of that separation that will come. We may not see it right now because we're so distracted, so thrown off by all the things in our world. All the pressures and and all the, 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 the beliefs that this will feed my soul, that this will meet my need. And we start feeding and, and, and clinging on to these things. And we start wavering across back and forth, never actually walking towards that destination. And we're going to miss out on it. And Jesus is drawing this picture that this is a true fact. If you're not in relationship with the master, with the Lord, who, is, who he is, Jesus, you will come to this point in life when he returns The judgment will happen and you will be separated from the glory of God. And while you may be able to see and understand that separation, you won't have any opportunity to make a different choice. And Jesus is unfolding that because again, he's telling his story. I want you to understand what I'm here for. I want you to understand what I'm walking towards. I want you to understand like this is all about uh, you coming into relationship with me so that we can be the way you were created to be, the way I created you for, to be in relationship with one another. To be able to do this, this thing called life together. I don't want you to be cast out, but it's, it's a choice that you need to make. Now, I've come to provide this free gift of salvation, to provide my grace and my love for you. I'm giving you all the pieces. I'm telling you the good side and the bad side. I'm telling you the truth. All you have to do is listen and respond and jump in. It does. It's going to take some effort to stay firm and established to walk through that narrow door but it's gonna be so worth it at the end because what you think is such a small thing at the beginning, like, oh, I don't need to worry about that. I've got time. That small thing is gonna turn into an incredible ending. This little baby born in a manger is gonna provide salvation for eternity for you as you choose to be in relationship with him. This small person like Jason Ballback. My life so seemingly unimportant to the grand scheme of the world. In walks with Jesus, God can do greater things. And I love what he tells his disciples in John 14. You've seen me do some amazing things. You will do even greater things. And you pause on that. 
And you hear what he's saying. He's trying to help you understand the separation that will come. But he's also trying to help you understand that in relationship with him, there's some beautiful things that will come out of a small beginning. A greater ending will come. You will have the opportunity to provide and to feed and and to give to others. You will have the opportunity to, to influence the things around you. Your expansion will grow as a small little bit of effort and energy is put in. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's tough. Matthew 19 talks about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what is it going to take for me to enter the kingdom of God? Well, you have to follow these commandments. Are you following the commandments? Are you, are you in understanding my words? Like, yes, I'm following each and every one of those. I'm doing those with every ounce of energy I have. Okay, great. Are you doing this? Yes, I'm doing this thing. Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go sell all of your possessions. Remember, he's a rich young ruler. All of your possessions, give it all away and follow me. In the next weeks, we're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus. For this rich young ruler, he couldn't do it. He walked away, what I imagine, dropping his head, turning his back on Jesus and walking away because he couldn't sacrifice the things that were, he felt were the most needed or were the most closest to his life. He could be in attendance and do all the right things, live out the list, But when it came down to fully sacrificing for the kingdom of God, to giving up everything to follow Jesus, he wasn't there. He couldn't put forward the endurance and the energy and the effort to do that. And he walked away. What an incredible story of, of brokenness. Heartbreaking for us to even read. But Jesus essentially in that story And in this story, the entering the kingdom of God involves three things. It involves faith, a decision to say, I don't know what the outcome is. I don't feel good enough or great enough. I don't feel like I've got all of my my stuff figured out. My sin still feels there. I'm being impacted. I'm not even making all the right decisions still, but I'm going to make a step of faith, believing in what I cannot see, believing that God can do greater things. I'm going to make a step of faith. And then I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to dive into the word out of that step of faith. And I'm going to say, Lord, this is hard for me to do. What I hear you saying, what I hear you teaching me through your word, that is tough stuff, but I'm going to be obedient. When you call, I'm going to respond and I'm going to go do those things. When you speak to my soul and my heart, I'm going to be obedient to follow after your word. I'm going to be obedient towards baptism. I'm going to be obedient towards generosity. I'm going to be obedient to love those that are so hard to love, to love my enemies. I'm going to be obedient to those things. Not because they're getting me somewhere, because, but they're letting me know who you are as I walk towards our eternity together with you. I'm going to be obedient. And and finally, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be willing to give up all that I have because you're worth it. I'm going to be able to take all of these things and say, I'm willing to to put these aside to gain so much more. So I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make a step of faith. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to dig in and I'm going to let God make life change in me. And I'm going to be sacrificial I'm going to activate that change and and put much on on other people to give and to love and to lead in a way that shows off to make much of the name of Jesus. The rich young ruler couldn't do that. He faltered at that moment. 
He wasn't firm and established because all these other things, all of his wealth took him away from being firm and established in the narrow way. And that changed his whole life, his whole future. But Jesus personalizes this story right at the end. In verse 30, now I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation because I love how he starts the phrase and it's translated in that. And note this. Some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Jesus personalizes it. He takes it and helps us understand that even when we feel small, we feel like we're insignificant. We feel like we don't have anything to offer. When we feel like we're the least, even when we have everything around us going for us, right? We have the best job and the best house and the nicest car. We still in our soul feel like it's not enough, that we haven't arrived and we haven't gotten to that place yet. And we feel a lot of insecurity and fear that we never will. And Jesus is saying, for you that feel that way in relationship with me, as you follow after me, if you stay firm and rooted in me, as you walk through that doorway to celebrate life with me, great things will come. Don't be distracted to become like that and whomever has all the stuff, has all the great things because they may miss understanding the gospel. They may miss understanding that separation is coming from the holiness and the glory of God. But for, for those of us who are able to choose to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will run after him and, and that small little thing of who we are, God will do great things to provide, to care, to share the gospel to this world, to create a huge influence on all that he allows us and leads us to touch. It's a beautiful picture. And it's exactly his story. And that's what I love about this passage, that he takes all of, of what feels and looks insignificant in us because he was that once a child who looked and felt insignificant being born in a manger. And he walked the path following the will of the Father, staying in relationship with him, even going back to the sermon last week, the staying in Sabbath, taking times of rest, to be with the Father, to be with the Lord, that he found this relationship. And the ending was powerful, conquering death, preparing a, a new kingdom to come, and preparing a place for us in that kingdom. As we join that path to you to say, we're small, we feel insignificant, but we're in relationship with Jesus and he is gonna do an incredible work through us, greater than, than we even see have seen him do. And I don't understand that passage. I don't understand that truth, but he promises it. He says it to us. And when we join those two things together, when we join in the life and ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, things can change. The world will change. And if we don't, our outcome is simply this, separation from God. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that grit of like, oh, I've missed this. Church, we don't want you to miss that opportunity. This morning, we're gonna share in the bread and the cup, the, the blood and the body of Christ. 
And I want to pull that into the story because of what Jesus is telling us, the truth about being separated of God, because in this, this bread and this cup is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. The blood of Christ that was shed for you to, to, to cleanse you of your sin, to bring you into a right relationship with God. What we are intentionally created to be. And no matter what your imperfection or insecurity or fear or smallness may be, in this cup and in this bread, it is made whole. It can be connected to all these other things in life and you can have incredible influence for the gospel. You can be drawn into your relationship with Jesus and become more and more like him as you interact with who he is, that you're in his presence, not just in attendance in the same place. And so as we go to this cup, I encourage you to find your elements that you've set aside, or maybe you need to take a quick moment and go grab those simple bread and a simple juice that represent the body of Christ broken on the cross for you. The juice to represent the blood of Christ shed for your sins to cover your sin. And the celebration out of this is that we drink to remember, we eat to remember that three days later, he rose from the grave. Small beginnings, huge endings. And he's inviting us to partake in that story, to be a part of the story of God to our world. And that's an incredible thing. And so let's take the bread. And if you have our, our single serve cups, you can just pull off the cellophane on the top and pull out the bread. And remember, Christ, when he sat with his disciples, says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Every time you drink it, remember what I've done and will do for you. The sacrifice of obedience that was made for you that we celebrate in that work of the cross for our salvation. So let's do this. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of him together. There's a bigger story here that Jesus has told that as we celebrate the beauty of communion, we celebrate the beauty of life, the beauty of life that he's given us, that we will no longer be separated in, in, when we are in relationship with him, that we don't have that, in, in, that future ahead, but that we have that future of being together, unified with Jesus, with God the Father, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's a process. That mustard seed, it didn't become a plant in a day. It took time to grow, to become strong, to hold the birds up in the air. That, that yeast, it doesn't take a second to, to leaven the bread, to release all the things it can release with all the other ingredients that are placed into it. It takes hours. It takes uh, moments to draw that all together and, and on top of one another, on top of one another, on top of one another to expand and create the influence. So as we step in this relationship, Jesus, the Spirit's got to work for us in our life to shape us, to, to create in us more and more as we become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, he will use us to do greater things than we've seen him do through the power of the Holy Spirit 
to take the gospel, the kingdom of God to this world. And I invite you into that journey. God has a plan, a desire for you. And he longs for you to walk in relationship with him. So as we celebrate this cup, let's celebrate the blessings of who he is in our life as we continue in worship together.